This is Nick Gibson, Senior Pastor of High Point Church. Welcome to the Engage and Equip podcast, a resource designed to help form substantive disciples for the local church. In this interview, I interview Lori Krieg. She's part of Hole in My Heart Ministries. She will be discussing being from a same-sex attracted background as an evangelical Christian from the Grand Rapids area. She's going to share some of her stories. We're going to talk about how the friend, how the church can minister to people who are same-sex attracted, honor them, and understand some of their needs and their experience. And she'll also talk about what she calls mixed orientation marriages, which are marriages same-sex attracted people enter into openly with non-same-sex attracted people and have a family. And it's a fairly new phenomenon that people are sorting out, and she is herself with her husband, Matt, and their two daughters. So listen and enjoy, and hopefully this will help prepare you to minister to people. Hey, everybody. I am really excited about the next two podcasts we're going to get to put out um, with Matt and Lori Krieg. The first one's going to be with Lori, and um, I... I came across some of Lori's material online when I was doing some of my research during my sabbatical. Um, Lori's part of Hole in Hole in Our Heart, Hole in Your Heart. Correct me, Hole in Hole in My Heart. Yes, yeah, it's, it's all about ourselves. There, you yeah. guys are in Michigan, yeah. right? Yes, we are. And um, they and so Lori has done um, some really cool videos and some some stuff on YouTube and so on, um, trying to explain to Christians. Um, what it's like to be same-sex attracted woman, what's that it's like to be like that in the church, um, what how Christians are and are not helpful in um, same-sex attracted people seeking Christ, following Christ, being part of the local church, and so on. This is probably not how you'd introduce yourself. But anyway, so those are, I, I found some of the things she said enriching. I wanted to get her on our podcast, and she very graciously agreed. So, Lori, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. Yeah, thanks so much. I'm super glad to be here. Happy to talk with you all. So you, so Matt has a counseling practice in, is, are you guys in Grand Rapids? Yep. So we are in Grand Rapids, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and Hole in My Heart Ministries is the mothership of what we do. And we have Caring Well Counseling, Caring Well, like to care well for people. Mm-hmm. And Matt is the director of counseling there. And I'm the executive director of Hole in My Heart Ministries, which is a new role for me. So I'm excited about that. Um, and so we speak, we write, and we counsel. I mentor some people who wrestle like I do or wrestle with other issues related to sexuality. And um, we're really trying to walk this difficult line of um, grace and truth well. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't see her if you're listening to the audio of this. Lori is on the younger side of things. I won't be asking her her age. But she, <laughs> she, she, she's I'm a millennial. I'll just say so, that. Yeah. So, um, <laughs> So Lori, maybe maybe you could start with maybe you could tell us like a, a version of your background so people can kind of feel a little connected to you and understand kind of where you're coming from and a little bit of your story. Yeah, yep, happy to do that. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. It is uh, was a very normal home except for the fact that I have eleven siblings. So there's a dozen of me running around. Except you know we're not all looking the same. But what if you like you? squint your eyes and look at our our picture, we all look the same. I am number nine of 12. Um, and my dad was a judge and we, he like spoke and wrote a lot. Um, and we were actually on focus on the family and our funny, like big family story is when my dad was like introducing us all to Dr. Dobson. And, uh, he forgot 
number eight at the hotel. And so <laughs> while he's like going down the line and then the hotel concierge is like dragging in poor little Scott and um, <laughs> like, oh, whoops, we forgot one. So kind of funny to be like, here we are. And oh man, we forgot a kid. But I really um, enjoyed growing up with my siblings. It was really noisy and um, I wasn't necessarily the center stage. I really preferred reading. I remember in third grade challenging myself to read a whole chapter book a day. I'm looking at one actually right now. I'm at my house, Bobsy Twins, Nancy Drew, all yeah. about it. Um, and um, what we talk, you know, our ministry is called Whole in My Heart Ministries. And, you know, Augustine says, we, our hearts are restless until they find the rest in thee. And like, I had this ache in my chest for God throughout my life, as we all do. And even though I accepted Christ at six, it just felt like I was always hungry for more. And I think that's a great hunger, especially when that hunger attaches itself to God. Um, but I, as I'm like, even reflecting recently, I'm just seeing how much of a lack of identity and a lack of like um, wholeness I felt even though I had done the ABCs of Christianity at age six, you know, accept, believe, confess, <laughs> but oh, wow. I was still hungry. And I remember like even at age eight, like looking down at myself as I envisioned all my siblings, I felt like all my siblings had a great identity, like the funny one, the athletic one, the every, you know, everybody has their like identity. And I looked down at me and I was like, I actually felt like invisible, like mm -hmm. even less than, less than whole, like not like vapor. And, um, I didn't, I knew I like needed God, but I didn't know how I needed God. And we, um, at our ministry, we talk about that hole in our hearts and we actually put tangible words to that need inside, as opposed to just being like, what's the answer? Jesus, you know, like Jesus is the answer for everything. That was a really but good like, Sunday school Jesus yell, by the way. That was good. Thank you. I'm channeling my five-year-old self. I do. She's cute. Um, but like how we actually have all of these inborn good needs for like nurture and to belong and to be seen and have value and worth. And those aren't like sexual words. Those are heart words. And I didn't know how God met those and I didn't know how to meet those in healthy ways. And so like most people, I kind of grab, grabbed onto identities. Now I'm going to take a pause. I'm not going to say grabbed onto a sexual identity. Um, I grabbed onto like, People liking me, <laughs> girls noticing me, guys noticing me, getting good grades. Um, the problem with that is that's known as idolatry and it's never going to satisfy. In that season of growing up, I also had this intrigue toward the same gender. And I don't like saying the word attraction because when you're five, you're not really like attracted. You're just like more interested in. And as a girl with five brothers who, I mean, they'd hit me, I would hit them right back twice. <clears throat> uh, I was scrappy. Uh, and they were not interesting to me, but the girls were. And so whenever I felt that growing up in my Christian home, even though it wasn't overtly stated, I overheard enough of like Christendom to know that any of those feelings, um, those attractions, that intrigue wasn't a bad sin. It was the worst sin. Like, worst, worst. And you know, it's abomination and you got to feel that you got to shove it down. I did not relate my lack of identity and wholeness to these attractions at all. Now, let me pause. Are they inborn? Maybe. 
I really believe that by the time we see Jesus again, I think all sinful tendencies could be connected genetically. And Romans 8 just affirms that. Like the fall affected everything and it could also affect our genes. They found like adultery genes and murder genes. Um, and so I, I don't really care if they find the and gay like, gene and, and if they say I have genes it. And all, I mean, just, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> they do. And so I, it doesn't affect me if that happens and that's okay. Um, so here I am growing up. I have these issues of assault that happened to me that tell this gaping wound in my chest, this need for God that, yeah, I see you, Lori, um, but not in the way that I really needed, not in a tender fatherly God way, but um, in an assault way where people stole from me and they said, yeah, you have value, but it's for your body. It's not for who you are. How old are you when that happened? I was four different times when I was very young, like before five and then around eight and then around 11 again, around eight. And I want to say twice. you said and in so one of your videos you different. got assaulted like in a grocery store. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. So I was in a, um, actually like a dollar store and I was just by myself. This was when I was 11 looking at toys and a random guy came up to me and assaulted me. And, um, I remember thinking after that happened, like, is this going to affect me the rest of my life? And I was like, no. And I just suppressed it. I literally didn't remember it until college. I didn't remember any of it. So all this hot mess, internally need assault attractions bam now i'm in college at a christian university and at this point my identity is pretty much a super christian girl like the type that's um does all the things i did all this stuff and i did it as as deep as i knew how it came from a genuine place of love for god love as much as i knew god so I was the leader in for chapel. I led small groups. And then all of a sudden my body started falling apart because, oh yeah, God made us holistic. And I was getting like four panic attacks a day. I move home. I'm still going to school. I decide the best option is to move out of the country to fix it. Cause right. Yeah, Change in location fixes all your country, internal right? mess. Like Barcelona. Why so not go to LC? Barcelona? Why not? Instead I went to Oxford university. All right. Guess what? Oxford's hard, and my identity was based on how much I could achieve. <laughs> so, bad choice, me. Yeah. Um, so there I was, walking the streets of Oxford where they filmed, you know, it's like the invention of Narnia and Harry Potter, and I'm walking around, digging my nails in my hand, just saying, I hate myself, I hate myself. Okay, I will I say this home. about Oxford. You've got to say this about Oxford. What? One of the only places what? in the world where the farmer's market is 85% meat. Like sausages yeah, and hams, right? In pasties or whatever, like where right? you have to right meat, like bread covered meat, and, and then, a strange and number of twenty like something smoking. Pounds. It was oh, amazing so how many British smoking. twenty year olds smoked at Oxford. Yeah, I, I know think. it's because yeah. Anyway, there's so, so much. Oxford is hard. Yes, you moved to a different place. It I didn't moved- help. No, and I was. It's ridiculous. So I move home and I decide two things. One, yep, I need God. Check. Two, I also need a tangible human person who can see me. And I, I could didn't, still couldn't articulate all this heart stuff. I just wanted someone who cared about me. So when I met Heather, not her real name, 
she was another Christian. I was a Christian. We were best friends and it just felt like our pain matched. And also we felt like the solution to each other's pain. And so I did not go into it. My dad was a pastor at that time. I did not go into it being like, dude, you know, it'd be awesome. I'll pick the worst sin. Not really the worst sin I thought it was. And I'm just going to do it. It was just like all the attractions, all of the pain, all of my hope, all of my loneliness culminated in this one person. And there we were in a same sex relationship secretly mm-hmm. while I was still doing all my Christian stuff. Uh, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know where to go. I break it off with her. I thought like, okay, I understand. I go to church and every sermon felt like it was on idolatry. And I'd be like, I know, cut it out of me then. Like I get that she's an idol. And I just thought if only I could just somehow move God to the number one spot, I just needed to do like a holy reshuffle of my priorities. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I needed to do? I needed to burn the priority list. I was just reading through Galatians 3, and he's like, you foolish Galatians, why are you trying to rebuild the system? It wasn't a matter of don't do gay stuff and do straight stuff, Lori. It was, Lori, your identity, dear one, is based on not a foundation of me. It is not based on a foundation of broken belovedness. It is based on a foundation of you, how you feel about you, and how others feel about you. Burn the list. Didn't know that until I met Carolyn. I ended up ending things with Heather for good after like over a year of breaking up, getting back together, hating myself. I tried dating this guy for a while. I didn't know what that was about. End it with him. I'm a full-time newspaper reporter, graduated from my university, living alone. And I thought every minute of every day, a woman was what I needed. But I had this whole like depression thing. So I start seeing my fifth counselor and I just wanted her to give me a pill for my depression and to tell me I'm gay and send me on my way. Mm -hmm. But she was so wisely irritating in that she wouldn't answer what I wanted her to answer. And instead she kept getting at the heart behind it. Lori, when you're looking at that woman, what's actually going on in your mind? Is it all sexual language? That's what the world would tell you. That's even what Christian world would tell you. Just don't do gay stuff. Just do straight stuff and love Jesus. Done. (laughs) That is a works-based faith. She said, Lori, what's going on in your heart when I'm looking at that woman? And I'm like, I really, I picture someone holding me. What word is that? Nurture. I picture someone looking in my eyes, seeing of you. I see picture someone telling me I have value, worth, value. These are heart words I didn't know I was feeling. Mm-hmm. Lori, is that woman, is she ever going to meet that enough for you? No. <laughs> no. I knew it to be true because I tried it. So if that's not going to work, then what is? What is? Man, brother Paul, Romans 7, who will save me from this life that is dominated by sin and death? Thank God is Jesus Christ our Lord. And I was like, okay, Carolyn, because that was her name. How do I do that? I've tried to be a good Christian. I've tried to earn all my stripes. And she is the one who said, burn the list, Lori. Burn the priority list and sink your roots down deep into the soil of God's marvelous love, as it talks about in Ephesians 3. And she took me on a journey, not of from gay to straight. She took me on a journey of an identity based on another human and on what I could achieve and an identity that was now based on my daughtership on my belovedness. And she taught me how to build that firm foundation that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord, through spiritual disciplines. She just taught me like monk stuff. 
like mm-hmm. first century church, like lament and listening prayer and confession and worship and community. And I didn't have a clue. She didn't sit me down and be like, okay, now we're going to learn lament. She's like, you got a lot of pain from your childhood that you got to get up and out. Let's gut it out. Do it like David. <laughs> so I did that. And all of a sudden I found it was working. And by working, I mean not gay to straight, but an identity based on Jesus Christ. And I started falling in love, not with a man, but with the one, with the man, the father, the son, my, the lover of my soul, who is mother, who has these, he's the creator of heavens and earth, Alpha and Omega. And I saw that when I felt that I desire that woman, I felt, let's say I'd feel that instead of, I feel this, therefore I am this person. That's the solution the world gives me. Lori, you feel that? Go get it. It's going to make you happy. Really? Is that really going to make me happy? I've tried it. That's not going to make me happy, but what is? Let's listen to your heart right now, Lori. I'm feeling like I have no value. I feel like I need to be seen. I feel like I need some worth. Is she going to meet that, Lori? No. Who is? Go back to my spiritual disciplines. Look at the word. Eat it. Let yourself feel the need and then let the need meter meet it. And it changed everything for me. So I can get into how Matt got back into my life, but that is basically the beginning of the, the beginning and how I live my every day. I still struggle with same-sex attractions, but that process I just described to you, mm-hmm. that's my like real-life process. When I am wrestling with lust at like a Matt and I, my husband now, we have a scale. If I'm at like a six, seven, eight, Matt's not like, oh, I'm the worst male husband. He's like, what do you need? And I have learned with Matt when he is wrestling with heterosexual lust, instead of be like, oh, I'm the worst female husband. Matt, what do you really need? And you know what comes tumbling out of our mouth? Not sexual language, heart words. Yeah, and so that's fairly universal, right? I mean, if you have same-sex attractions, if you're just... Because our sexuality, even for... I mean, people think men's sexuality is really simple. And it may be more linear in a way, but it's still totally bound up with whether or not they're enough or whether or not there's intimacy and all that kind of stuff too, right? Yes, the desirable. That's the one that Matt... So for me, I like big core need, and we talk about this a lot, like what's the core need that's barking the most loudly? For him, it's often the desire to be desired, is he just doesn't feel desirable, which that's not like it has to be this animalistic sexual thing. It's like, am I worth anything? Like, does anyone like want me in their group? Like, and it's funny, we were talking about this on the last podcast we recorded with Steve and Matt, and they both wrestle with heterosexual pornography lust, which most men do, um, mm-hmm. or many men do. And they were, I, it's funny how both of them, when they don't feel like they belong, again, a heart word, with other bros, like it's funny how their lust increases. Not for men, but they just feel like undesirable on planet Earth. Like mm-hmm. they don't feel like they belong anywhere. And the enemy has got us twisted around in thinking that like pornography or whatever our eyes land on, that's going to meet that heart need. And God's like, it's me with people as the supporting cast. Do you feel like that's partly because human beings as like embodied consciousnesses, you know, have like, there's like a visceral way to get at a need. And then there's like a, there's like a more way to get at a need. So like you can feel empty and you can just eat whatever is in the cupboard 
or you can like yes. seek another way to feel full. And when it comes to feeling yes. wanted, sexuality, like having sex, is like the most visceral way to feel really, really wanted. And so that's yes. like the, that's a like you're right straight at the thing. But there's like these levels of human being that are just completely missed. And so it's the most, yes. the quickest payoff, but the shortest burn for payoff. And so you, you get, you almost totally. feel like, uh, when you're done because you realize that I just ate all that ice cream or I just did this other thing. And it's really, this yeah. is, I'm right back where I was. Totally, totally. And I just, I just, today was thinking a lot about, how we don't let ourselves feel need. Like we're so quick to pop the emotional Tylenol of whatever it is, the Snickers. Why wait? Why wait? I mean, you could eat a whole steak dinner in an hour, but might as well eat five Snickers now. But like anything, sex, porn is but a click away. And so, but to actually feel the need and like turn your heart to God, then when in a godly, God glorifying way, you eat that steak dinner or have sorry, but sex with your spouse that God has brought together, it's worship as opposed to consumption. It's like a glorifying thing where you're like, oh, thank you for this meal, God. Like, thank you for this person that you gave me as a gift as opposed to lust, like selfish. Like all of it is a consumption to fill this need as opposed to I felt the need, I brought it to God, and then anything he gives me is just gratitude I give back to him. And you would say that for married couples— even within their relationship, that there is that same kind of visceral hole in your heart sex. And then there is oh yeah, sex that's built on like shared work and mutual admiration. And that has like, it's got the same yes. visceral thing, but it's got a bunch of levels on top of it. So that totally the, we talk. Yeah. One of the things that as you explain this for some people at our church will recognize you using um, language. that's often used by people who are more reformed in their theology like the language of idolatry mm. tends to come across more mm -hmm. with, as opposed to like charismatics, we'll talk about the lie I'm believing and the truth that sets mm -hmm. me free because they tend to think in captivity mm -hmm. liberation language. People in reform yes. schools tend to think of idolatry, you know, competing mm. God's language, right? Like Keller is really, mm -hmm. really good on that. Yes. Have you always, I mean, you're from Michigan, right? So have you always been kind of like yeah. those kind of circles? Yeah, I... Um, so CRC, you know, we've got Calvin oh, and yeah. all around us. So would you grew and, up CRC? Um, I didn't. I actually grew up all the things. <laughs> yeah. We grew up like Baptist and non-denom. We went to Mars Hill for a while. All, we went to many things. And when we, Matt and I, when, like if we just left California a couple years ago and we were in the more like lies and truth, which that's all a part of this. Mm -hmm. Like if you journey with us in some of our counseling, you'll hear us talk about those lies, but I, I don't, the language really of idolatry for me just, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I think those are ahead. all, those are all in the Bible, right? Believing yeah, lies, self-deception, all that's in the Bible, but the language of totally. idolatry is extraordinarily prominent in the Bible. Yeah. That I just it smacks me in the face all the time. <laughs> so when I'm reading and so I kind of like the conviction and and when you mentioned Keller, I I mean, I listen to a lot of his sermons. So you'll hear a lot of him come come out of my mouth as well, but um yeah, yeah it just it's so biblical to me and it makes so much sense to me. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's Okay, so that was great to hear that from you. Parents 
Prince said that's like half of our time we've used doing that. But I think it'll it, people have a good feel for you, and maybe you come back sometime and we can do another podcast. Um, so let's talk about three yeah. things: um, same-sex attracted people engaging with the church and other Christians, um, non-same-sex mm. attracted people in the church recognizing the church is a place for same-sex attracted people, and yep. just the church in general, right? So can you start with yep. what don't I know about? what it's like to be somebody who experiences same-sex attractions very predominantly who yeah like is a christian is searching for god like what is some stuff that that people like me maybe just don't even though i think i'm hip like i went to a public university i went through the whole progressive indoctrination everything about that i know the right language yeah i can do all the pieces yeah. stuff but yeah. Yet, what, uh, you know, what on a heart level in like yeah. a deeper level do I not get? So, um, you know, I've never sat through one of your sermons, so I don't know how you are. Oh, so I'll just no, kind of talk no, just presume on my, someone. just presume on me. Just, I'll presume. I'll, yeah. I'll, just like, I'm, yeah. just, just tell, just tell me all this stuff you've run into or some, some of that stuff that people would go, okay. then people can just, if that shoe yeah. fits them, they can wear it. Like what totally, are some things? That's great. I think one of the things that I'm thinking of initially is when I sit in a, in sermons and I hear pastors intentionally dance around the same-sex attraction, homosexuality piece, I don't sit in the pews and think, so glad that he didn't talk about me. I think he's, he's probably terrified, and to talk about this is going to cost him too much congregational currency that he's not, a will, he's not unwilling to spend. So essentially, I'm not worth talking about. He would rather, and again, I don't know, you probably, you might, you're obviously talking about this, but I'm just saying in general, in churches I've been to and from things I've heard from people is I sit there and I think they, I'm like, huh, I'm not worth talking about. They're too afraid and they would rather please everyone else than please God. So And you mean I that no matter how they there. talk about it, right? Like, cause you can be like dismissively negative or dismissively affirming, but you're talking about like taking somebody very seriously. I'm saying completely avoiding it completely. I think there's a lot, there's many churches who are talking about it, not at all on purpose because they're terrified. And so that to me says, Lori, the sacrifice you are giving to God by giving your sexuality to God not worth it. And guess how many other voices are telling me that every day? So many, <laughs> so many, the world and Christianity just come out and be who you are. Or stop wrestling with that and be a good Christian like us, either extreme. And so I think for the pastor to take a posture, like you're trying to do right here, right now. And like so many pastors I've met, our pastor, our senior, oh man, mm -hmm. pastors I'm seeing start to lean in. It is telling, it's, it's like, instead of standing on the pew, it's like they're coming next to me and linking arms with me and saying, I see the sacrifice and I am going to stand with you. And I am going to spend the con congregational currency, even if people hate me for it, because I know people hate you for it, Lori. So I think becoming a safe place by opening up mouths in a posture of humility and grace and truth, which is hard. I think sometimes we can just avoid it because it's hard. <laughs> like, yeah, I mean, for me, it, for me, it's almost like me? there's part yeah. of it is like that it's there's a current there's a cost to it. 
part of it, it's like, yes. part of it is like this, this existential ignorance. Like I have a hard time talking yes. about what it's like to be a woman because I just, yes. I'm just a man. And so I can talk yes. about humanity and what I think women share with me. But when I get into something that is distinctively yes. woman, I am in an academic realm for me. And that's also true for and me mostly is... with same sex attraction. I've had same sex so attractions smart. in my life, but never so predominantly it affected me on the kind of level where I, I was grappling with it as an identity. Totally. Thank you for sharing that. And that I think is a, again, that's the posture of humility, grace, and truth that needs to approach, be approached when talking about this conversation, which will bring me to the next point, which is get educated. And so as you're pursuing me, as you're reading blogs, as you're reading things on this, go to the conferences. Dr. Preston Sprinkle, who I'm on the board for the Center for Faith, Sexuality, and Gender, they're doing leadership forums all over the country. And they're just, they're talking theology. If mm-hmm. Pastors and lay leaders, you, how, many, how many people have time to read all the things regarding this conversation? We don't have time. And we, it's just the lack of knowledge. It's like, I want to be educated. I just don't want to just run my mouth and therefore shoot my mouth off. Mm-hmm. And so I think to get educated and listen to people, and it's hard, there's a lot of different voices, but there is, there are voices, let's maybe take this piece and that piece and then approach again with a posture of humility. Lori, what do that you think? That goes so far. Lori, what do you think are some of the positive things that people can say? Because like, if you think about like biblically speaking, when people think about homosexual practice or same-sex attraction, they'll go to the Bible and they'll mm-hmm. say, okay, there's these six mm-hmm. or seven passages. They're universally yep. negative. Um, first Corinthians Mm. six says, has a negative section, but then it says, this is what some of you were, which leads a lot of people to say, so the good news is you can change because in first Corinthians six you were, and then you weren't because of Jesus. Right. And yet, right. Every, all that we'll talk about the, about that whole question in a little bit, but like, that seems to be the only positive thing. And so people don't know what positively to say. It sounds like what you're saying is yep. just get more generally theological about what's true about them as humans. Yes. That God can be everything yes. for all of us in Christ. That's what's the beauty of the gospel is it simultaneously raises the bar for everyone while cu- cutting us all off at the knees. And so if we're going to talk about sexuality, homosexual practice, then let's also talk about heterosexual pornography addiction. Let's talk about mm-hmm. all like I when I was in a same sex relationship, I was like, why am I the worst one? I don't understand. That doesn't make sense when I look at the Bible. I know. I will also say a theology of no is not, um, it's just not God. (laughs) It's not Jesus. So what I have been studying a lot is John 17 and Ephesians and Galatians and Colossians about oneness. Mm -hmm. So we look at our, however somebody wants to identify gay brother and sister or single brother and sister who's straight. And we look at them. We're like, yeah, sucks to be you, bro. Like just don't say yeah. no to drugs. Say well, no to gay part stuff. Of the, part of know? the issue too is, is that you've got within the local church for women who believe that they have to find a suitable Christian to marry because they believe that's yeah. what scripture teaches. Like they are struggling under the same impoverishment of a doctrine of singleness and celibacy as a whole, whole humanity. Because I think that's a huge mm. part of why pastors don't talk about it who are married is that I think that mm. we lose our nerve to look another human being in the face, especially a young one and especially male young mm. ones. And to say, mm. um, you know, Matthew 18 says that, look, there are some of us that aren't going to 
we're not going to be married and have these kinds of relationships, but we can be fully given in mm. our lives to the kingdom of God. And God is yeah. calling you when, if you don't find a suitable spouse of which you can form this family and marriage that you can be single and you can be completely human like Jesus was. I just feel like I feel this in myself. Like I think of myself as like Mr. Nerve and I feel mm. myself lose my nerve to look at a 22 year old young man mm. and say, I don't have a, I don't have an answer for you other than Jesus. Jesus was a fully human, single celibate man. You, totally. And so we're basically saying Jesus' life must have been terrible. Paul's life must have been terrible. I really think we have done a poor job of conveying what the church, capital C church, looks like. What does oneness mean? We, and I'm sure Matt will talk about this in his podcast, mm -hmm. we have worshipped sex as the ultimate intimacy. What is the climax, no pun intended, of every chick flick? What is the height of like every romance? It's like, then they slept together. Oh, look, now they're close. If that's the case, then Jesus must have had a terrible life. If that's the case, then when Jesus was in his last prayer in John 17, as he was praying for the, us to be one, sorry, this is graphic. He was not praying for an orgy. He was talking about oneness. And it says, what is that bonds us together? It is the spirit. If we look at Colossians and Galatians and Ephesians, as I've been studying, I'm like, God, what is oneness? What is what binds us all together? It is love. It's not Eros love. It is love of the father. It's like, yes, Eros love in marriage, but that is not at the top of the pyramid. It is the head is Jesus Christ, and we need to be one as the Father and Son are one, as it says in John 17. And I think we as a capital C church have no idea what that means. So when we look at our single, gay or straight or whatever sort, whatever identity, brother or sister or however they want to identify, and we say, sucks to be you, but just be like Jesus, like we, I think we have it all wrong. I think we need to be able to convey the kingdom of God in this beautiful way of that's invitational because if sex is the ultimate oneness then we're all in trouble but if god is the head and, and love is the ultimate oneness that's invitational no matter who you are right because even with our young heterosexual people when, in relation yes. to sexuality we're still not saying this is what intimacy is this is what what we're doing is we have like a delay a sex delay program that we were on yeah. where we're just trying <laughs> to like it. get them to hold out until they get married the earlier, the better. Totally. And yeah. And so they, they, married people never grapple with singleness first. And a lot of times, even with Christians, right. you get these serial relationships until somebody marries one of them. Do you know what I mean? Mm. And I think, mm. I, and I've had other people tell me, especially same-sex attracted single friends that are my age, that the church's yeah. law, the church, be, partly because of secularism, has kind of lost its its grasp on like covenantal friendship. Is it Wesley Smith that wrote, like he wrote on same sex. Uh, Wesley Hill, yep. Yeah. Wesley yep. Hill. Yeah. And then mm -hmm. like his I'm next book was like yep. on covenantal friendships because he recognized yeah. that was the next step that if you, if you're going to have profound non-sexual intimacy in a life where you didn't marry. Covenantal well, and what did we talk about in the, the beginning? Answer. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Covenantal friendships. And what we were talking about at the beginning of this podcast is what we were talking about my husband and his friends, when they talk about when their lust gets higher, when it's wrestling, their straight mm -hmm. lust, often it has to do with belonging. Mm -hmm. Guess what that relates to? Loneliness. Loneliness is an epidemic. 
And I think that we need to be the least lonely people in church, but how lonely can we feel? You're asking about like, what can we do for same-sex attracted people? What can we do for people, people? Right. Like I got to learn how to bust open the doors of my home. I am an, I sound like an extrovert. I'm a super introvert. <laughs> like mm-hmm. how can I be more invitational into the church, the, the oneness of church? Me, Lori, it starts with my own heart. And how can I be reaching out to people better so that it's not just a, I'm going to go hang with my family at least I got a husband and kids, so, hmm. yeah. but like, how can I be invitational to people and help the epidemic of loneliness? Yeah, you talked a little bit, I read I read a, a blog you wrote in response to a fairly prominent woman Bible teacher mm-hmm. who affirmed, Yes, seems to have affirmed in an interview same-sex relationships, and you said, but th- this was the paragraph I thought was so good. I, it was a great blog, and I tweeted it, but, I, but this is really good. You oh, said, thanks. we in 2016... Well, I only have like four Twitter followers, so um, we in 2016 <laughs> Christians can rail against some Christian thinking of a prosperity gospel that was very popular 15 or 20 years ago. This was the gospel of pray, follow Jesus, and you will be healthy and have lots of money. But as much as it frustrates us, we have our own version yep. of the prosperity gospel in 2016. It is the gospel of pray, yep. seek God, and then there will be no pain. No suffering, yes. just normal, laughable, bloggable trials. We have Tylenol, alcohol, yep. social media, NPR, Netflix to help us cope, for which the rec- for which the record again, I like, oh, for the record again, I like some of those each in some degree. So I, I really think that's, that's true. Do you want to expand on that? That like, we have fallen into this idea within secular, secularity is designed to meet all of our needs. That is against yes. pain and for pleasure. That's how we have created our society. But yet that, yeah. so, that society has shrunk us so that that's all we think a human being is supposed to be anymore. And the gospel is completely against that notion. It is completely against it. You know, I was reading some Keller stuff before talking with you. And just because I love how he lays it out and how like in how Timothy lays it out. And it's like, you will become a slave to whatever controls you. Mm-hmm. And okay. So in, in Keller, he says, we're telic creatures. We are made for something. We have this hole in our heart. We're made for something. And so we, as people before this thing that we thought we were made for in our prosperity gospel of 20 years ago was like, okay, once I get a family and kids and little sprinkle, little Jesus on top, I'm going to be good. That's my prosperity gospel. But now it's like, Okay, I was made to get, I needed to have 20,000 Twitter followers and 400 likes on Instagram. And then I need to have X amount of people like me. And then I will be okay. And then I will be whole. But anytime, any if then, then I will be okay. That shows where the idols of our heart are. Mm-hmm. And anytime we have the if then statements, like that is going to reveal um, what we are truly worshiping. And so I just get. I'm like the only true worship, the only true thing that we can addict ourselves to is God. Mm -hmm. And again, it's not a matter of don't do bad stuff, just do Jesus stuff. I did that in high school. I did that in college and my body fell apart. Mm -hmm. It's a doing away with all of it. It is a letting ourselves feel our need. We don't let ourselves feel need. We don't let ourselves feel any pain. When I notice this in myself, I start to feel anxious. I start to feel bad about myself. Do you know what I do? I pick up my phone 
Do you want to know why? That's an instant dopamine hit. That's a morphine hit. I want to see if people like me. That's all we're doing. (laughs) Instead of letting myself feel need, let my feet, I like envision my roots, my feet going down into God's love and my mind focused on him. I set God always before me. He is at my right hand. And so we as millennials, we think we are superior. (laughs) We think we are superior with our superior knowledge and our, our, um, we don't need money. We just need likes. <laughs> That's superior. Mm-hmm. That's a better idea. Yeah, they're like, we're so not worldly. And you're like, um. But, yeah, <laughs> I just spent like 400 hours on my hair and my mustache cream. And you, you know what I mean? Like, I just, and and I do it too as I am pointing was, the finger. But it was I socially just fingers mus- pointing back mustache at me. cream. You know. Yes, it was. Yeah, right. It's fair trade. Baby whale, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Mm. Which is good, and it is God's earth. But if if saving baby whales is my identity, if my mustache cream is my identity, if the Instagram likes any of it, God calls it all rubbish, worthless rags. So we could keep going, I'm sure, forever. <laughs> Most people who experience same-sex attractions have some point if they yeah. if they were a Christian before right? They grew up Christian, especially mm. there's some point where they go back mm-hmm. to the Bible and they go, Hey, are the progressive Christians, right? Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe like we got this all wrong and they'll go and they'll yeah. read Boswell or, yeah. the, or all the newer people. And they'll, you know, there's a whole literature going back to the eighties, at least on this. Um, mm-hmm. So like, did you have that phase? Like what, at what point did you go? Oh, it turns out that the, yeah. what the church has taught, for 2000 years actually or 3000 years is right. It doesn't get talked about right, but the certain parameters are right. So I, there's been several times that I've done the whole, like look myself in the mirror. Like even while married, I think we all have those moments where I'm like, is it like, is this, was I wrong? You know, to be very vulnerable with you. Mm -hmm. And Here's the deal. My wife has had those. I came to Christ. (laughs) Right. My husband too. Right. (laughs) Look at for real. And our spouses of us. Good grief. Like, was it worth it? So you're talking to somebody who Um, said in front of his church last year. So I had this conversation with my wife where she said, I wish I didn't marry you. And this is, this is what our marriages look like for the next, the five months following that. And it, for a lot of people, they were, there were some people who were like, I don't need to know that. And there's some people who were like, that was very helpful that you said that because We've had that conversation too, yep. you know? So anyway, yes. Totally. I Everybody has buyer's remorses, but you, but like sometimes same sex attracted people, like they're at least tempted to say maybe committed relationships that are follow all the mm. parameters of family in the Bible and companionship right. and shared, like all the things right. marriage is getting at. Maybe if our relationship yeah. got at all those things ethically, it would be the same. Right. So here's the problem with God, and I put problem with like a little like, right. you know, wink emoji, a uh, little yeah problem, yeah. Uh, is when I said yes to Jesus at six, you know, did the ABCs of the gospel, the problem is God is real. <laughs> and like, as much as I didn't get it all, and I still don't get it all, good grief. I'm probably 30 years, I'll look back and I'll be like, boy, how little I knew of God. But when I was six, I knew God was with me, young age. It was just so... I knew he was with me. So even when I was with my girlfriend in this same sex relationship, it was so annoying because 
as much as I tried to squash it down, the spirit of the living God spoke into that hole in my heart and I, that I couldn't quiet that said, Lori, I have something better for you. It wasn't the judgmental voices I thought that I spoke really over myself that were like, you're the worst Christian and I hate you. That wasn't God. It was, Lori, I have something better for you. I have something better. There's another way. It wasn't straightness. It was God. It was him. So did I have those moments? Yeah. And I'm grateful I didn't really like go through all of this now. It'd be really hard because there's so many people who are trying to flip it around. But I'm telling you, no matter how many people try and flip it upside down, when I read it and when I read what I think are some of the wisest people, like the people, Preston and friends, like if you read those things, that is convincing of my head. But there's nothing so convincing as a spirit of the living God in me just whispering, I have a better way. Yeah. Okay, so there's probably two more things I'd love to talk about and probably only one more thing we can talk about. So um, okay. let's talk about the um, what you are in yourself and counsel people about, which is a, a mixed um, – Orientation. Mixed orientation marriage. So like one person yeah. in the marriage has predominant or at least – significant same-sex attractions and the other person is yep. what we would think of as traditionally heterosexual and they marry each other. Right. Can you give us yep. a category for that first? And then under what circumstances a same-sex attracted person might might think about that and under what circumstances a heterosexual attracted person might consider that? Yeah. Or do so what do you mean by category to give you? So like some people are like, wait, you can't do that. So, okay. What, what I was taught in the nineties going to college was basically this. Yeah. If somebody with same sex attractions, marries somebody who's heterosexual, they're just like pushing something down and trying to fit in. And eventually they'll like run off with something and implode their family and leave them. And they're, they're just putting off the inevitable. Right. And they totally. can't be happy, fulfilled totally. or whatever. Yeah. And totally. But yet it seems like just in the last 10 years, there's been this kind of like yeah. new version of that, of that, which isn't like I'm repressing myself. No, I'm out. I'm being totally honest about this. And yet yeah. there are certain yeah. things that I want other than that, that it can only be found within this context. Totally. So a lot of areas we could go there. I think, you know, essentially, how did I know that it was right for me? And how did we decide that it was right? What really helped was doing that heart work. I think if Matt and I had gotten married when I like was like, okay, you know, I dated this girl and then I started dating Matt. And then I thought about marrying him. We've both talked about it. Mm-hmm. I don't know how we would have lasted because it would have just been replacing one thing with another. And Mm -hmm. all the brokenness still would have been there. I didn't do any of the heart work. I didn't know any of this stuff. So had we done that, I don't think our marriage would have survived. However, after doing this, like, oh, oh, I'm not a special form of broken. I'm like a normal broken person with this type of brokenness. And so is Matt. He's a normal type of broken person with his type of brokenness. And so what what Carolyn wisely said is I was like, how is this going to work, Carolyn? Like, look at me. I, I, I still wrestle with shame. I think that's one of Satan's biggest lies is you are the worst one. You're the worst sinner in the room. <laughs> I still wrestle with that. And, she, and she's like, Lori, you don't need to figure out how to be married, period. You, Lori, need to figure out how to be married to Matt. And so that is going to look different. Even if Matt and I were super straight, 
Like, mm-hmm. he, it, we would still have to figure out, Lori, how do you be married to Matt and then let Jesus work out the gospel in your life with your supporting people around you? So I, I am not a proponent of following the script I followed. I am a proponent of submitting all of our lives to Jesus Christ and being like, how do you want to both refine me and gift me? And for me, Lori Creek, he has chosen the path of marriage to be the area where he both refines and gifts me. And because I honestly think I would get way less refined if I was single. I think that's probably what I would. It, I feel like it could be easier for me because I'm so driven. I would just work all the time. But I am grateful for home and kids to refine and gift me. And you have, Does that make sense? You have two daughters. Yes, little Gwen and Juliet are almost three and one. So Wee. I was up a lot of the night uh, with <laughs> molars coming in with number one, <laughs> the one-year-old. So, um, so if somebody were to come to you and say, "Hey, I'm considering getting into a a um, mixed orientation marriage," yeah, what, what what would be the first question? Couple questions you'd ask them. I'd be like, okay. Well, how much have you thought about this? What are you nervous about? What are you excited about? I'd be really, really interested in listening to the language that's coming out of their mouth. If they're like, well, I just know, like if I'm hearing like just grin and bear it, sort of like, Mm -hmm. I mean, marriage is suffering. If I'm hearing that like pre-marriage, I'm gonna be like, okay, you know, a little nervous. If it just sounds like I'm just going to gut my way through the next 60 years because that's going to be tough. It sounds like that repressive here- kind of thing that we are accused sounds of. Sounds like, yeah, right. Because like, that, that really does happen. To- well, and I think about in contrast to Matt getting married to me, I didn't know he was still wrestling with pornography addiction. He just thought marriage would fix it. He thought I would fix it. And mm-hmm. he was just kind of like, I'm just going to kind of, that's, you know, the delayed marriage theology. Mm-hmm. <laughs> marriage is going to, fi- guess what? I didn't fix him. Shocker. Um, nor he, me. And so I, if I hear in someone's language, something that's really like external, like I'm just, we're committed and we're just going to commit and commit. If you will get to a point in the marriage, probably around year seven, where you're holding, (laughs) you're going through the fire and you're holding on by the gold on your fingers and you are both seeking Jesus and you let the storm bring you to a new level of depth. So if they're starting there, I would really try and get at some of the heart stuff uh, that we talked about today um, just to see if it's more than just we're going to commit and commit. Yeah. Okay. Let me, let me tell you something I told a young woman and you tell me what's wrong with it. Okay. So (laughs) this, so this woman was basically said, okay, there's this guy, he's same sex attracted and we're, Mm -hmm. you know, we're really close and we're considering like a, Uh a mixed orientation relationship and hopefully marriage. And yeah. So what I said to right. her was, I said, okay, let me ask you this question. Do you, is your experience with him? And you may need to ask him about this. Is his sexuality continually pressurizing and then exploding in terms of his own experience in psychology? So like it's feeling pent up, feeling pent up, feeling mm-hmm. pent up, feeling pent up. And then like he looks at a bunch of pornography or like he does something to like, Right. release it and then right. it like gets pent up and pent up and pent up and it's kind of like this cyclical thing i said as opposed to living in a certain kind of 
relationship with himself in Christ so that it's not, Mm -hmm. it's, it's not pressurizing. And she was like, Oh, I Mm -hmm. think I know what you mean. I think I can try to figure that out with him. And I, I thought like that was, that was kind of the, cause I was like, cause if he's pressurizing, exploding, pressurizing, exploding, you can't fix Mm -hmm. any of that. But if he's, if he's found a certain sexual space for himself, he might be able to connect. You two might be able to connect with each other relationally. But if he is still, that's not going to work. So I really, I like what you said, because you're listening for, is this just a cycle of sin management? Is this bro just like, just gritting his teeth and I'm just going to last another day. And look, I lasted four days this time before looking at porn or whatever. Just fighting my desires. What I, right. So what I love, I really love Ann Voskamp and Tim Keller and Francis Chan. They like all hang out with Jesus in my head. What I love what I've, in what she said in the broken way is she said, we want to live our lives like our spine and our arms. It, it, there is a cross inside of our bodies if we just reach our arms out. So I would want to see in that young man a life that is like, yep, busted. I am broken and I am holding my hands open. And there are some days where I'm just like gripping the hem of Jesus robe me like, help me, Jesus. But I am living uh, uh, with arms open to people who are involved in my life. I'd want to listen for people who are like in their circle. And I am living a life of authenticity with myself and with God and with this girlfriend, like with, you know, boundaries. I don't need to say every thought that comes to my head with a girlfriend. Um, Mm -hmm. but to live a cruciform life, that's how Ann Voskamp calls it. And so live, it's really just the gospel lived out in a person. I want to see someone who is willing to be broken. Mm -hmm. And then I'd be like, okay, I would, I would not say get married tomorrow. I would say, do the next thing. As Elizabeth Elliot says, when you don't know what to do, just Mm -hmm. do the next thing. So do the next date and see if you see the gospel, the cruciform life played out in that person. Lori, this feels like one of those conversations that's just barely getting started. Um, for me. So um, hopefully if you guys are in Madison soon, um, you and Matt and Lexi and I can all find a pub or something. Um, But so Lori Krieg, for those of you guys listening, Lori Krieg, K-R-E-I-G, hole in my heart. I-E, I before E except after C. Oh, I misspelled it. (laughs) For some reason, I'm reading it on my, off my paper as though it's right because I typed it. (laughs) K-R-I-E-G. Yeah. And also Preston Sprinkle, what's the name of that minister again? The, the, uh, centerforfaith.com. Yeah. So if you look, look at their, yep. at their, what's the video website that's not YouTube? Vimeo. Uh, v- Vimeo. Yep. And yeah. look up Dear Church, I'm Gay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Dear Church, I'm Gay. Lori's in that video. And, um, that's a, mm-hmm. a cool place to find some stuff. But, um, Lori, yep. I just feel like we'll probably have to talk again and people just have to wait till then, I guess. Yeah. So, um, Sounds thanks great. so much for taking the time. And, um, this has been fun for me. Yeah. This fun for you. Yeah, it's been awesome. Keep keep on keeping on. You guys are doing great work. Okay.